Welcome to the Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I am super excited to welcome you to episode number 17 of the Playground Project, and I invite you to follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. On today's episode, I am delighted to welcome my very, very good friend, Gary Kessler, as our mystery guest. Gary and I have been friends for many, many, many years. And on today's episode, I, I'm, I'm saying get ready to learn about Gary's journey to a career in high tech uh, with a couple of pivots along the way. I am so happy that you're here with us on the playground. Have fun and enjoy. I am so excited to welcome my next mystery guest, Gary Kessler, onto the playground with us today. Gary is a far from average guy. He is a good friend of mine, of mine and my husband's, and we're very blessed to have him in our lives. He's a lovely man. We have a lot of things in common, both university graduates. He went into high tech. He did research and development, biological sciences, but he's got a really cool career. And I'm very excited to to have a chat and to demonstrate, for him to demonstrate how a career can just kind of go through all of these different twists and turns and you learn something new from each step, from each place that you're you're at. And I'm just excited. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to welcome Gary. Welcome. Thank you, Tanya. Pleasure to be here. So, you know, I mean, the drill is basically we talk about high school. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to give me some answers and you're going to give some insights to people that are are listening to the to the playground sure. project today. So so what was high school like for you? And you you grew up in Montreal. I did. I want to point out that high school was uh, a long time ago for me. It was over 40 years ago. So a lot has changed in, in 40 years. However. Some of the basics are still there. I was thinking of career, obviously, and when I was in grade 11, I think high school was, again, very, very average, very normal, nothing spectacular. Um, I certainly leaned towards the sciences. I did best in biology and chemistry and, and fairly well in math. I was above average, certainly not engineer level, but above average. So I always leaned towards the sciences, and that sort of dictated where I went with my career. And... In Montreal and Quebec, we had a CJEP system, and um, high school ended in grade 11, and then we went on to two years for CJEP, and that's where you sort of chose your discipline, where you chose your your stream, and we had a difference between health sciences and pure and applied sciences, and health sciences dealt more with biology and chemistry, and that's where I went. So after high school, I streamed into CJEP, where I focused on biology and chemistry, and then I went on to university to get a degree in biochemistry. For the the non-scientific people or for the more social science people, so those are health sciences. What are pure and applied sciences? Pure and applied sciences are more engineering related, focusing heavily on math and, and engineering courses. Like so physics? I did this, indeed physics and, and math and well, engineering and, and physics. So that was the main focus. That's really the main difference. We, we both had math courses, as I recall, and we're Fairly close. I mean, everybody did uh, calculus and 
different levels of calculus. Level one, I think they had an extra calculus class and they had extra uh, physics, more more physics indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's really the difference. You're either going to biological sciences or engineering and math. And I chose the biological sciences. And then you went to university. I did go to university. I went to McGill and I got a degree in biochemistry from McGill. It was an undergraduate degree. And I thought I'd be able to use that degree in the pharmaceutical industry. I knew that Montreal had quite a few pharmacy company, pharmaceutical companies, not mainly with manufacturing of drugs and such. So that was my goal when I graduated from university. I didn't, I didn't want a graduate degree. I, I just felt I wanted to get into the workforce after about three plus years of, of the university and see if I can get a job in, in a pharmaceutical company. Could we talk about that one that for just a second, please? Because, sure. you know, right now we're living in this world where everybody has to go off and get a master's degree. And mm-hmm. there's this real sense of a pressure almost. Mm-hmm. Now, I myself did not, you know, continue along my that way either. But what is it about you that made you say, nope, I've had enough of this. I want to go get a job. One thing is I, I think struggle a bit in, in university. The things didn't come easily to me. And uh I, I passed everything. Everything was great. Uh, I, there was no no issue, but I certainly didn't. I wasn't an overachiever. I didn't. I was. I didn't have my marks weren't high enough to get into medicine, and they were average to below average, actually. So at that point, you and me both, Gary. There you go. It's not <laughs> uncommon. So academia really wasn't my world. I didn't think I would be able to. I didn't want to do. It, it was too stressful for me. I felt it was affecting my health, and it was affecting things, and I just. Honestly, felt this wasn't for me, and and I knew I just had to get my. And I don't mean, I I I did want to work. I did want to go to university. I did want to get a university degree. I just didn't want to pursue higher education. And in fact, later on, I went back to university. But in terms of graduate degrees, I didn't want one, and I just wanted to get into the workforce and see if I can start earning money with with my degree. Good for you. Good for you. I'm very proud of you as as a, a career development practitioner to hear you had such a strong level of self-awareness that you didn't put yourself into a situation, but that you followed your heart and your authentic need to do a particular thing. So yay you, even if that was 40 years ago, I'm still impressed by the fact that you did it. Thanks. And I think I was mm-hmm. relying a lot on the companies. And I thought if I, you know, for for training. I thought if I was able to get in somewhere, I'd be able uh-huh. to just apply myself while I work and, and move up within the company. And a lot of companies offer training, and I thought that would be the best way to go. That's what I did. Well, okay, because I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. What, right. what, how, how, did you, how did you transition from university to the, the labor force? Well, as you can imagine, it's difficult to get a job. You know, We always have that same thing. You can't get a job without experience, and you can't get experience mm-hmm. without a job. So I fell into that. But I was fairly good at networking, and I had a friend who was working in a lab, and I said, can I volunteer to work in a lab at the university? And that's where it started, and starting to network some more. I, I met a very nice professor, and, and then he spoke to one of his colleagues who needed a research assistant in the university, and that's how I got my first job. I was actually working as a research assistant on a grant through Connections. It was through a volunteer position that led to an actual job. So again, the social science people, I'm myself mm-hmm. being one of them, people talk about labs. I'm picturing in my head a lab in a high school where you're learning chemistry. 
What does a lab mm-hmm. look like? What is what do you do in these labs? Well, you know, there's um, a professor. Professor, they they get grants through the university, and in order to get grants, they need to do research. So they come up with a hypothesis, and they said, I think this happens. I think if I isolate this protein, show it as a marker on during a, a process. So the main goal was to isolate protein from, let's say, optic nerves. And that was part of my job. So we had optic. So it's a process of, of getting that information, getting that protein. It's, it's You're isolating the protein from an optic nerve, and then you follow through and finally you get it, and then you're able to use it as as um, create antibodies from it and use as a marker. So it's a process of coming up with a hypothesis and creating a a plan using scientific instruments to do what needs to be done. That's what it is. So if you can come up with a plan, you don't need a huge lab. I mean, in my case, I was one research assistant for one professor and his, you know, his lab wasn't gigantic. And of course, because we were in the university, we can use university equipment. We had an ultra centrifuge that we were able to use that was owned by the university. So multiple labs were able to use it. You know, we had a, a separator, uh, fraction collectors, and all these things were some common equipment that people were able to use. And um, yeah, that, that was it. You did research. You normally just assisted someone. They come up with a hypothesis. They come up with what needs to be done, what they're looking for, and they, they, then they write it up and they try to get published based on the research. So I'm kind of looking at things from from the perspective of, let's say, a, a researcher as a policy analyst kind of thing. Is this the actual like work that you're doing in the lab? Well, part of it is. I mean, for research, for example, you're looking at other scientific papers. You're saying, oh, someone's isolated a protein, for example, and they've used this technique. And you sort of look at it and you sort of follow their protocol. And that's part of the research of trying to figure things out. So I remember reading a lot of scientific papers. I remember just especially the procedural section. Like I said, there's a lot of things. There, there are a lot of experimentations out there. A lot of them are quite similar in terms of technique, in terms of what has to be done in order to get the final results. And you research these papers. And of course, now, now it's huge, right? I mean, it's big with, with online. No, it's, it's, it's big in terms of online research, getting access to information. I think when I first graduated, we had to request paper. We had to request research papers from the library, and then they would bring it to us. They would bring a copy to us. So it wasn't it wasn't instantaneous. You had to wait a little bit. You had to sort of go through a lot of information. And the internet wasn't as prolific back then. We didn't have that information. Yeah, that was, was slower, but that's kind of research you did. So there you are. You got your first job. How long did you stay there? I don't think I stayed there very long. I, so I, I still lived with my parents at the time. I was there for maybe a year and a half or so. Under two years, I believe. Again, being my first job, it wasn't a very well-paying job. I worked on a grant, and my my salary came mostly off a grant. If he doesn't get a grant, I don't have a job. So I thought, time to move on. Time to sort of try something else and use my experience to find something new. And I made a decision, and this is a personal decision, where I said I'm I'm going to go to Ottawa. I made a change in my life. I wasn't I was unhappy. I just needed to change things I, I you know i was living with my parents i didn't want to live with them anymore and i thought well i can't i didn't want to get an apartment in montreal i thought that was nice daily so i thought ottawa was a nice place Ottawa was close to montreal in case i i needed to come home in a hurry 
Yeah, that's what happened. I, I applied for jobs in Ottawa. And again, more of the research field. And I happened to get a job at um, Canadian, but well, it was the Red Cross at the time. And once again, it was another research position in, uh, in a lab working on, um, on blood proteins. So I packed up my bags and I had savings. So of course, when you live with your parents, you're, you're able to save money. And that's what I did. I saved money, had enough money to sort of move on. And I was able to rent an apartment, and bought a little car and I was off. I had my independence and it was lovely. It was great. So there you are, you come here, you work at the Red Cross. How long were you there for? Eight years, I guess. Seven or eight years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, had a good time. Part of work was more more than just work and career development. It was a social aspect as well. I had a very good time. I, you know, I met my wife at at the Red Cross. So I was just, um, I enjoyed it. People over there were, were very nice, very social. And a lot of my friends at the time were from the Red Cross. So it was a nice place. I was comfortable and, mm-hmm. you know, work was work and there were good times and there were bad times, but you just managed. So eight years go by and what happened or did anything happen that made you say, okay, it's time now? Yeah. Well, two things. First of all, I've always wanted to get into high tech. I, I, I was a bit of an introvert, I suppose, and the notion of writing code and getting mm-hmm. paid large sums of money to do it without interacting with a lot of people. And this was my, I didn't really quite understand high tech industry. And, but the way I saw it, you can just write code and if you're good at it and you'll, <laughs> you'll get paid well. And, and that fascinated me. So not fascinating, but it was something I, I, I wanted to get into. And I also leaned towards computers. I really, uh, there was of course a IT department at the Canadian Blood Services. I hung around those guys a little bit and I was like, it was interesting. And so I said to myself again, I was on a grant and, mm. There was no permanence to my job once again. So I said, okay, I need to make changes. I have to find something that would let me get a more permanent job. And and again, I was interested more in, in hard skills, you know, as opposed to soft skills, mm-hmm. which are extremely important. But I thought writing code, understanding the industry would be equivalent to, to hard skills. And if anything were to happen, if I were to, the company folded or I was fired or let go, I would always have that to fall back on. So at that point, I said, all right, I, I was with my wife. Well, I don't think I was married, but I was with her. And I said, look, Chris, I want to I wanna go to university and I want to get a computer science degree. And, you know, I can use courses that I already have. So it's not going to be a full three years and work in high tech. How old were you? I was 32 or 33. So 32, 33, and then? Yeah. So again, I, I also sort of made certain that I had money in the bank. I'm more of a saver than a spender. So I was able to, you know, put money in the bank, make certain I had money just in case. Uh, certainly need enough money to pay for my tuition and pay for living expenses. And I was living with my wife at the time. And so she helped out tremendously. And mm-hmm. we, just, we just moved forward. And then I took about two years and I, I got a computer science degree at Carleton University. So, Yeah. And uh, I got a, I did get my degree. Unfortunately, fortunately, I, I made mistakes going forward because out of fear. But unfortunately, when I when I received my degree, there was a there was a burst of the high tech bubble. I don't mm. know if you recall about I twenty do. years ago that initial burst, and you know Nortel Nortel was a big one that sort of fell like a like a house of cards, and then there was JDS Unibase, and there was just massive massive layoffs, and that really sort of 
shocked me and scared mm-hmm. me. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do now? Because every time I was looking for a job again, I fell in the same sort of same sort of business with you can't get a job without experience. You can't get experience without a job. Right. Mind you, I was able to get work at, at the Canadian Blood Services. Again, I called up a friend. I said, is there a summer position you can offer me? And I was able to do that. So I, I wish I had focused a little more on understanding the product. But so okay. I did have an opportunity to work on a development team, but it was all right, but not where it should have been. Anyways, at that point, I sort of said, okay, I, I need work and certain regrets and I should have pushed a little harder, but so I ended up working at CNIB, Canadian National Institute of the Blind for about five years. And I was a trainer. Yeah, I trained people who are low vision and blind how to use access technology. It's how to use computers as to read, to navigate through, through the world, you know, as screen readers or using devices that helps them electronic devices and technology to navigate their world. So that was my job for about five years. Well, that's interesting because I'm looking at this from the perspective of you being an introvert and training people. How was that? And you didn't have experience at that, but obviously you got the job and you, they liked you and you stayed there for five years. I was, you know, I'm pretty easygoing and I listen to people. I'm not, you can, you can learn anything. You can learn any job. Once you're on it, if you have enough training, enough experience, you can learn anything. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I was very, I listened to people and I spoke, I, I talked to them and it wasn't difficult. I mean, understanding technology was quite a sighted person. It was easy to, to understand the technology and use the technology. And you just had to know how to talk to people. I, I had some, some very good moments. And, um, but yeah, it's a good point. I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. And then I had to do something that's sort of the opposite of being introverts. I, you know, Tanya, you need a job and you do what has to be done. Right. So, well, you said you had some really good moments. Yeah, sure. People thanking me. I had, um, I, I was still able to write code. I still knew a little bit about, um, you know, databases and user interfaces. So at one point, I remember one of my colleagues was having a horrible time filling out forms. There's, there's so many forms to fill out. So I, I created a um, an access database using um, Microsoft Access, and I was able to automate the process. And he told me, he said, he told the group, I, I couldn't do my job without Gary. So that's that was a good moment, and I actually used my my background in in application development to to help him. And of course, I I I was with um, interesting people, lovely people. I mean. Who, who I've helped, and they were very grateful. Most of them were, were very grateful. Yeah, these were good moments. These were fulfilling moments that sort of uh, I still think about today, where I was able to help people. So a really cool combination of the hard skills that you gained through your academic training and your soft skills that you developed. And just It's just a matter of listening to people and, and trying to plan things out as best as you can. Just really understand people's needs and, and, and help them. And we are DNIB is in the business of helping people. And so we understand that and just work towards that. So it was, it was fulfilling. It was, um, you know, filled my soul. I, I enjoyed most of it. I mean, there were, and, and any, there, there, there are always difficult people anywhere you go, right? So yes. I've had some very good experiences. I've had some, some scary experiences as well. So, oh. um, while working at CNIB. So I was, uh, but I was grateful to have a job. It was great. I was, I, I enjoyed it, and um, and the people were very nice. So five years, then what happened? Yes, five years. 
I really wanted to get into high tech. Like mm-hmm. I said, when I graduated from university, I got scared. I, the yeah. bubble burst. I remember looking at the wanted or dating myself, um, <laughs> just the on the online job descriptions and saying, I don't know any of this stuff. And all mm-hmm. these jobs seem well beyond my capability. And I got scared. And so I said, OK, I can't I need a job. And I happened to fall upon this job and I took it. And um, again, it was it was a nice job, but again, financially, it wasn't the best paying job. It was nonprofit. It wasn't horrible, but at the same time, it wasn't great. So I said, okay, much as I enjoyed this job, I'm I'm going to just move on and try to get to high tech. So that's what I did, and I retrained myself. I I went to there was a government program that was being offered that that sort of trained you as well a little bit in high tech and all these things sort of. I was building momentum. I, I did my own personal learning. That's that's a big thing. I didn't go back to university to upgrade my skills. I did a lot of personal learning, and I really tried to understand the industry and understand what's new. And so at that point, yeah, I just went crazy applying for jobs, and uh, I happened to find another job. And then I it was an actual high tech company that was hiring. Oh, actually, I did work. I forgot to mention I've worked. Oh, yes, I've worked for two years in Montreal at a, oh, yes, as a QA course. analyst. I forgot that prior to CNIB, I was working at, that's where I gained a lot. Actually, that was a really good job. That was interesting because I worked a lot with Excel and I worked a lot with Excel macros and writing code through Excel and through Microsoft Access. That was actually really Good job. I was there for almost two years. I remember that. That's that actually gave me some experience. That uh, that was helpful. And, and then I came back. I mean, working, living in Ottawa, and and, and working in Montreal, and was not good. Was not helpful for my relationships. And I I came back, and then and then I got the job at the UNIB. Just going through the interview process and and getting the job. And then after that, five years. After five years, I really wanted to get into high tech here, and I thought. It was the right time. And like I said, a lot of self-learning. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed for a job and I was so excited. I remember getting that my first job in high tech. I was absolutely thrilled. It was a grant application and it was 75 employees. I was thrilled. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. I had to learn a new computer language and there, but I managed. And so that was all good. And I was there for about uh, two years after that. And then they had like a whole bunch of people. They just grew too much. They grew too fast. They lost contracts and typical story. They had to start trimming and I was part of what had to be trimmed. I was laid off. And it was a good experience. You know what? I can say once in my life, I was actually laid off first time. And it was horrible. It was awful. I remember that. Yeah. But again, it's something that I learned and something you survive. You sort of said, okay. It was a horrible day. I remember it even today. I came back from vacation. The day I came back from vacation, they sort of they laid off a bunch of people. Well, it was, yeah. I, it was very interesting because I knew I had access to my email through through my home computer and I saw they laid off a bunch of people. I thought, oh no. I did know it and I was trying to pretend it wasn't going to happen to me, but it did and it was horrible. But at the end, it was actually a good experience to, to have that experience of being laid off. You know what? Life goes on. You feel bad, but you're going to move on. No. It gave you the opportunity to build resilience. Well put. Yeah. Okay. And again, I just added to my resume and again, learned skills. And 
I went on. I just didn't want to work in high tech. And and by the time I was there, by the time I went to that high tech company, I really sort of understood the industry a lot more. Didn't mm. quite when I first went to university, got my computer science degree, I didn't understand all the different aspects and different layers of, of a high tech company. I didn't understand about business requirements. I didn't understand testing and automation and development. I just thought it was like development. You come up with an idea and then developers do all the work. But there's so, so much involved. And that's something I wish I had known prior to going to university, knowing how how complex the process is and how many opportunities there are it's not simply a develop, development jobs. There's, yeah. you know, there's the architects. There are the individuals who create the user interfaces. There's the business requirements, the, the business analysts, the uh, system yeah. analysts, the testers, the test automation, which I was big into. So all these things are part of, us, of the process of getting out uh, software. And there's lots of opportunity to, to grow. You may not be the best developer, but you may be able to create automation scripts, help in the testing. You may be able to be good at gathering requirements, communicating with people. There's even the sales guys. I mean, they they get paid extremely well. So all these things are that was that was my learning experience. And that's something I wish I had known prior to to getting into high tech. I think that's incredibly insightful recommendations and thoughts that a lot of people that are listening are going to find very, very helpful, uh, especially, um, for instance, newcomers who have a lot of experience in their own home countries, and then they come here and they might need to retrain or get some Canadian experience and all of that kind of stuff. And what you're doing is you're showing that it's not just that one very kind of narrow focus, but that there are a lot of different parts of the equation and people can be open to learning about that. Because, I mean, when I heard architecture at first, like I remember in, in my career development world, thought, you know, somebody who designs houses or buildings. There's yeah. a lot of similarities between building and creating code, surprisingly. But, uh, yeah, there's there's so many. There are a lot of opportunities in high tech. It's by no means an easy job. you got to think ahead. It's like being a chess master, I think. You really have to think ahead with and design things. And you're very active. And. Depends what industry you're in. I was, uh, after I lost my job, I went, I found another job fairly quickly. And again, this leads to one job leading to another. We worked in financial technology. I worked in financial technology, which was incredibly challenging. It's a job that had, uh, even right now, as I think about it, I sort of, my heart's beating faster. Just everything you need to know in order to, to get a good product out there in order to to sort of stop bugs in order now to, to not have a bug-free application. Mm-hmm. It's quite involved. Yeah. But there's there's lots of opportunity. Once you start building your your resume and your repertoire, you're you know, you're you're moving. That was my my goal. Experience and and gain some hard skills and, and you're networking and you're good to go. Just uh, you know, try to be a try to be a good person. Don't piss people off. If the boss says something, just most of the time agree with with him or her and say it's a good idea or you know be respectful towards others you have to be careful out there don't uh don't burn your bridges no Um, that's a very big piece of advice very important there are times you may want to say something but hold your tongue wait till your very last day of work (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of that you found another job after you were laid off 
And how long were you at that job? About nine and a half years. So you really stay at places a long time. I guess so. It was, you know what? It was, I like the job. And most important, I like the people. The people were fabulous. We're a small company, but we did things. And I was able to learn things. I socialize with people. I, I still play. I still I still go golfing with my with my ex boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, nice person. Again, the the pay wasn't 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 terrible. It was the highest paying job I had. So that was important as well. I, I had to yeah, secure your future. You know, I've I've often said you needed you need to be you got to look at your health. You got to look at your your physical health, your emotional health, and your financial health. All these things are are quite important. Like I said, it was something that paid fairly well. It wasn't a six-figure salary, but it wasn't terrible either. And I, I, you know, I was fairly confident at the job. And and again, I was also in close to my fifties when I got that job, and I wasn't. I didn't want to move on at that point. I just wanted to stick with what I had and ride it out. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. Uh, speaking of riding it out, what's next for you now? Good question. So I did leave my job. I left my job back in March. It was planned for quite a while. The place wasn't doing well. There were a lot of changes. So it wasn't the same place I used to work. And of course, the pandemic didn't help either. The pandemic sort of forced us to work remotely. And I'm not a big fan of that. I was never a big fan of that. During the remote work, we were told that the offices are permanently closed and your job now is a virtual Hmm. job. And I didn't sign up for that, and I wasn't happy. And uh, that's part of what what sort of encouraged me to leave the job. So after three and a half, three almost three years actually of working remotely, I, I had enough, and I said, okay, I'm going to move on. And what's next? I don't know. Right now, I'm sort of enjoying my summer. Um, mm-hmm. I've developed a lot of skills through work, a lot of hard skills. So I'm still want to keep that going perhaps and it's been just over three months three and a half months let's say since i've left work i say it's retirement but you know i'm just sort of gonna enjoy my summer right now and and do things i want to do and like i said i'm trying to maintain my physical and emotional and financial health these things are all important to me and of course relationships with with my with my wife and my friends and my family so make sure that's solid but right now we're I'm taking it easy and we'll see maybe maybe pick up a contract somewhere. Good for you. Good for you. I'm very impressed. And I, I wrote down strategic and resilience, two ways I would be looking at your at, at the think, the career that you developed for yourself. Yeah, just just you know, stick to it. I mean, just keep networking, keep working, keep keep networking and, and you're gonna have disappointments in your career. You're gonna have disappointments in your life and but but just keep going forward. And keep learning and keep sort of developing skills and, and develop from and keep networking and just keep going. And most importantly, just you need I my philosophy is I I, I work to live. I don't live to work. Uh, my job, mm-hmm. all my jobs were were jobs. They were not careers. They were just jobs and they were means to an end. They allowed me to have nice things and and give me security in life. So, well, the jobs make up the career. Okay. Yeah. So that I, I, a career development professional background, like that's it, it, like, unless people are thinking a career is, for instance, being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, like that's a, a career. I think um, many people envision, oh, I'm going to start small and come, I'm going to start in the 
in a in the mail room in a company and move up to president sort of thing and mm. as a career thing and sometimes that happens but sometimes it doesn't sometimes you're you're in one place and try to be happy i mean that's i look at my my last job and people have been in the same position for years they didn't move so hmm. you know developers who started 20 years ago are still developers today I'm going to throw in dynamic as well. I'm going to put dynamic. There you go. That's how I'm going to describe you. Well, Gary Kessler, this has been so informative, so insightful. And I hope that you had a good time kind of thinking back about your career and the different choices that you made and um, the different forms or, or the different sense of fulfillment that you experienced in these different places. Absolutely. I'm very happy with my with what happened in my life. I you know, I, I remember saying I want to get into high tech when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and I and I did that. And so that's an accomplishment. That's a goal. So I have no regrets in anything I did. Yay. So I'm adding accomplished right to there. So I've got strategic, resilient, dynamic, and accomplished. That's Perfect. how I'm going to describe you, Gary Kessler, and my friends. All right. Well, you go have a terrific day. It's another beautiful day. Enjoy all your moments. I really appreciate you, Gary. You're very welcome, Tanya. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on the playground today, Gary Kessler. If I had to sum up Gary's career development in a few words, those words would be strategic, resilient, accomplished, dynamic, in a nutshell, always moving forward. A natural problem solver, Gary took a strategic approach in his career journey. He knew his personality traits and focused on finding a good fit with his personality type. He also knew the importance of putting money in the bank and understood the significance and value of acquiring technical skills. He too went through the whole, you need experience to get a job, but you can't get a job without experience cycle and used his network to help him find a volunteer job that led to his first job after graduating with a degree in biochemistry. He worked in a lab at the Red Cross, now the Canadian Blood Services, and eventually found a position with the CNIB where he trained clients with low vision. He was able to use the combination of his soft and hard skills to help people make positive changes in their lives and found the position to be very fulfilling. He was focused on his desire to work in high-tech, retraining and reinventing himself graduating in the midst of the high-tech bubble at a time when the industry was experiencing massive layoffs. He did find employment and eventually did experience being laid off, but he was resilient and always found something else. And even when he was working in Montreal for a couple of years, he found value in it and appreciated it for the experience he gained. Although some people say they live to work, Gary prefers to say that he works to live He is a true lifelong learner and is at a place in his life where he's not sure of what's next for him. Whatever it is, I am certain it will be all about learning new skills and enjoying his life. He understands the value of family, friends, growth, and the wonderful balance between them. Many thanks for sharing your career journey and your pivots with us today. I am really looking forward to next week's episode with our mystery guest, He has quite a career story, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. Once again, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001, and I'm really looking forward to jumping into the future together.